That is Paul's big idea as he writes to Timothy. Guard the gospel. That's been our our repeated little phrase that has come up again and again. And so we've been thinking, haven't we, what, what, does it, what does it mean, what does it look like for church leaders, for people like Timothy, who Paul's writing to, and for Christians like you and me, to protect, to pass on, to guard the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. What does it look like for us to do that in our generation that's what we've been thinking about, and, and for the past couple of weeks, if you've been here, you'll, you'll have seen, hopefully, that, that Paul's aim has really been to, to set Timothy's expectations. I remember, at the start of chapter 2, uh, Paul called Timothy to guard the gospel as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And from that point, from the beginning of chapter 2, it's as though he's been telling Timothy what life is like on the front line of ministry, what, what, what to expect if he's going to guard the gospel in this way. And so if you were here last week, we saw that Paul said to Timothy he should expect terrible times. Just look back at chapter 3, verse 1. It's out of the chapter for this evening. 3, verse 1, he says, expect terrible times. In the days between Jesus' first coming and his return... Paul says you should expect terrible times, Timothy. Why? Well, we saw, didn't we? Because people will be lovers of themselves, chapter 3, verse 2. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, verse 4. In other words, there will be people, says Paul, in the world, and more shockingly in the church, on platforms like this one, for whom life is all about me, all about what I can get, all about my pleasure, my money, my time, my followers, all about me. And when that happens, when people in the church love themselves more than they love God, well, we saw that the result was that they begin to view other people as tools to be used, the obstacles to be overcome, or followers to be collected. And so Paul says you should expect terrible times. Expect them because there will be people who love themselves more than they love God. People who have a form of godliness but deny its power. That's what to expect on the front line of ministry, says Paul. And that was our focus last week. But, but knowing what to expect is, is not really enough, is it? It's not, it's not enough to simply be aware of the danger, but then not know what to do when you get to it. No, if Timothy is going to guard the gospel, if he's going to fight as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, well, then he needs to know what to do. He needs to ex- know what to expect, but also what to do. And the big thing that Paul wants Timothy to do is right there in the middle of our passage this evening. In the, in the face of fake Christians and false teachers, the one thing Timothy must do is continue. Verse 14, look there, he says, But as for you, Timothy, as for you, forget about them, as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. A good soldier of Christ Jesus is someone who continues Someone who keeps on going with the gospel that they've received. 
No matter how popular or attractive the false teaching around him sounds, no matter how many people abandon Timothy and run after these false teachers instead, Paul says, but as for you, Timothy, you must continue. You need to keep going with the gospel, no matter what. Continue with the gospel, says Paul. And then in the rest of the passage, he gives two big reasons for doing that. First, continue with the gospel because, number one, you know your teachers. Look at verse 14 again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learnt it. Who taught Timothy the gospel? Who, who did he learn it from? Well, along with his mum and his granny back in chapter 1, the person who taught Timothy about Jesus, the person who passed on the gospel to him, was the Apostle Paul himself. And so he says to Timothy, look, you know who taught you. You know me, Timothy. Uh, start of our reading this evening, verse 10, you know all about my teaching. And crucially for this passage, you know all about my way of life. In other words, Timothy, you know that I not only talk the talk, but I also walk the walk. My life and my teaching, they are one and the same thing. Timothy, you can, you can carry on with this gospel that has been passed on to you because you know the one who taught it to you. And you know that I'm the real deal. And can you see how, how Paul makes that point even clearer by essentially contrasting himself with the false teachers that we looked at last week? Back at the start of chapter 3, if you just look back up there, we saw that the, the false teachers are marked by all sorts of awful things, things like selfishness, greed, pride, brutality. But Paul says, that's not me. Verse 10 again, my way of life is marked by faith, by patience, by love, endurance, even persecutions and sufferings. The false teachers, they, they loved money and pleasure instead of God. But, verse 11, I have faith in the promises of God. Even when pleasure is replaced by persecution, even when money is replaced by marginalization, I have faith in God. The false teachers, they, they abused and manipulated the vulnerable. But remember, end of chapter 2, Paul urged Timothy to show love, kindness, and gentleness even to those who oppose him. Uh, the false teacher said, you could live the resurrection life now. No pain, only glory, if you listen to us. But Paul followed in the footsteps of a crucified saviour. He endured a life of suffering now and waited patiently for the glory to come. Because that's how Jesus lived. And verse 12, he says, that is how every Christian should expect to live if they want to follow him. And so can you see, Paul, Paul contrasts himself. He says, look, you can continue with the gospel, Timothy, the gospel that I have passed on to you, because you know who taught it to you. And unlike these false teachers that are floating around the church, you know that I'm the real deal. You know my teaching and you know my way of life. And you know, the same is true for us today, isn't it? 
If we, if we want to continue with the gospel, it is really important we listen to pastors and to teachers whose lives match their message. It's important that the people who stand up here can say to you, you know all about my teaching and my way of life. Not that they need to be perfect. That would dramatically reduce the number of people that you listen to. It isn't about being perfect. It's about being authentic, gospel authentic. For pastors and anyone else who teaches the Bible, this is about practicing what you preach. It is about being shaped by God's word, not just speaking God's word. Following in the footsteps of the very one you proclaim. Seeking to live a life of faith, love, patience, and endurance. Being willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. You know all about my teaching, says Paul. And you know all about my way of life. Those two things go together. And one, one specific little application then is that, that this should be a little warning flag to us when it comes to listening to online preachers. I've got no problem with doing that. I, I regularly listen to people online myself. It's brilliant that, that technology means that we have access to some of the best Bible teachers in the world at the press of a button. But we do need to be careful, don't we? We need to remember that we know nothing about our favorite online preacher. They cannot say to you, you know all about my way of life, because you don't. And so as brilliant as online sermons are, it is here, this evening, in the local church, where we get to hear God's word taught, but we can also see God's word lived. You can continue with the gospel, says Paul, because you know your teachers. But then secondly, Timothy, you can continue with the gospel because you know the scriptures. One of the... um, one of the major complaints of the British soldiers in the uh, war in Afghanistan was that they, they were vulnerable and unable to do the job they were being asked to do because they couldn't trust their equipment. And sometimes we can, we can feel a bit like that in the Christian life. When uh, the opposition is particularly fierce or false teaching sounds particularly attractive, the temptation can be for us to begin to doubt our equipment, to lose trust in in the weapon that we've been given as one of Christ's soldiers. In other words, the temptation is to lose confidence and so give up on the Bible. Perhaps that was a temptation Timothy faced. And so Paul writes to him and says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Paul says, look, Timothy, however, however flashy or attractive that false teaching sounds, whatever opposition and suffering that you might face, you must stick with the truth that you've been taught. You need to stick with the Scriptures. Why? What, what is so special about this book that you're holding in front of you this evening? Well, Paul gives us three things, doesn't he? He says, stick with the Scriptures firstly because they're all about Jesus. Did you see that? Verse 15, how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation 
through faith in Christ Jesus. At the time Paul writes to Timothy, Scripture would have been referring primarily to the Old Testament. Those were the Scriptures that Timothy had access to, that he knew. But it was also around this sort of time that Paul and the other apostles' writing were being accepted as Scripture, called Scripture. And so the point Paul is making here is that the whole of Scripture, the whole of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, has one focus. It tells one story. The story of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the focus. He is the the heart, the climax of the Bible story. Everything we read, whether in Leviticus or Luke, whether in Chronicles or Corinthians, whether in Ruth or Revelation... All of it, says Paul, is meant to lead us to him. And as we're drawn to Christ in the scriptures, the right response, the the wise response, is to put our faith in him. It's to trust in his death and resurrection, and so be saved. And so as one writer put it, the Bible is not a rule book, but a rescue book. It makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Stick with the Bible, says Paul, because it's all about Jesus and how to find salvation in him. And then secondly, stick with the Bible because it's all God's word. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. The Bible is literally God's words breathed out. Which means although he he uses different human authors to physically write that word down, the words of the Bible, the words that we have read this evening that you're holding in your hands, they are the very words of God himself. What you are reading is exactly what God intended to say. And that's not to say that the people who wrote The Bible became these kind of mindless puppets, uh, robots who just wrote without thinking. No, no, through his spirit, God has deliberately used different people in different situations to write down his words. And so when we read the Bible, we, we get to experience, don't we, some of their personality, some of their expressions, their ways of putting things. We understand the situations they're facing. So Luke is different to David, who's different to Paul. The Bible has different authors. But Paul's point here is that the Bible's words are God's words. Which means we aren't free to pick our favorite bits and ignore the rest. We we don't have the liberty to just brush over or ignore the bits we don't like. In other words, the Bible is the final authority. And that doesn't change just because we find it uncomfortable or because our culture doesn't like it. Which makes this quite a challenge for us today, doesn't it? Because just as in Paul's day, there are some, even in the church, pastors, leaders, uh, who would like us to think that if the church is going to have any relevance in today's society, if, if Christians actually want to be taken seriously, well, then we really need to reconsider what we do with the Bible. Instead, of using it instead of preaching it as we do, we, we should adapt it. We should change it. We should, we should change it to kind of fit, to suit our culture a little bit better, to be more palatable. Uh, one 
popular pastor and author in the States, a guy called Rob Bell, puts it like this. He says, the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as its best defense. When you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are your brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, co-workers, neighbors who love each other and just want to get on with life. Do you see what this pastor is saying? If you want to be relevant, if you want to be loving, then stop going on about the Bible. You need to find a new way, a better way, a more suitable message for our times. But Paul says, no. No, don't abandon the Scriptures. Stick with them. They are God's Word to us. And so it is madness to try and silence the voice of our Creator by by cutting and pasting bits of the Bible that might cause offense or cause us to suffer. We are trying to silence God's voice. We are saying that He is no longer relevant, that He no longer has the right to speak into that particular area of life. Paul says the Bible is all God's Word which means we need to stick to all of it. Whatever the church down the road says, whatever the pastor online or the people in power say, stick with the Bible, says Paul. It's all about Jesus. It's all God's word. And then thirdly and finally, it's all that you need. Verse 16, again, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When Paul uses that little phrase, servant of God there, he's talking about church leaders, people like Timothy. And so his point, first of all, is that the leaders, people like Timothy, should stick with the Bible. They should have confidence in the Bible because it really is up to the job. Timothy is to be an approved workman with one tool, a good soldier with one weapon. The Bible is sufficient for the task God has given him. It's enough, says Paul, for the job he's been called to do. What is that job? Well, we've already seen it, haven't we? It's, it's first of all, to make people wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Timothy's task is to, to protect and to pass on the gospel by bringing people to salvation in Jesus. And Paul says simply that the way to do that is by sticking with the Scriptures. And again, that's something that we need to remember, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but it, it can be so easy for us to doubt the sufficiency of Scripture when it comes to the salvation of our friends. When you finally manage to get your friend along to church, but they really did not like what that guy said up the front. When you've worked hard at your youth group talk, but it just doesn't seem to land. It it has no impact. When the Bible is met with apathy or opposition, we can begin to think it's not enough, that it's not really up to the job anymore. And so the temptation for us is to, to look for other things, to find other ways that we might convince people of Christ, less Bible-y ways. But Paul says to Timothy, and he says to us, stick with the Scriptures. 
Because it's the scriptures that make you wise for salvation in Christ. It is the scriptures that are sufficient for bringing people to faith in him. But it doesn't stop there. Because not only are the scriptures sufficient for uh, salvation in Christ, they're also sufficient for helping people to continue in Christ. Verse 16 again, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Timothy must stick with the scriptures because they are sufficient for building up and equipping other believers. And if that's true for Timothy, well, then it is true for every Christian. And so whether at home with the kids or at school with your friends, whether on the sports field or in the staff room, at the King Center or in the office, God's word is sufficient. As Peter writes in his letter, God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. Or Paul here in Timothy, he has equipped us for every good work. And so as Kevin DeYoung writes in his book, this one here, Taking God at His Word, he says affirming the sufficiency of Scripture is not to say that the Bible tells us everything that we want to know about anything we'd like to know about. But it does tell us everything we need to know about the things that matter most. The scripture doesn't give us exhaustive information on every subject under the sun. But in every subject that it speaks of, it only speaks the truth. And in its truth, we have enough knowledge, sufficient knowledge to turn from sin, to find the Savior, to make good decisions, to please God, and to get to the root of all of our deepest problems. He says the word of God is more than enough for the people of God to live their lives for the glory of God. Wherever we might find ourselves. And so if you ever wonder whether you are equipped whether you have what you need to live a life that pleases God, to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you wonder whether you've got what you you need to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus, well, Paul says, yes. Yes, you do. You have God's word in your hands. And as we saw it back in chapter one, you have his spirit in your heart. And so you have all that you need, says Paul. You can guard the gospel if you stick with the Bible. And so the question for us as we close is a really simple one, isn't it? Are you? Are you sticking with God's word? Are you listening to it? Are you reading it? Are you passing it on to others? Are you equipped for the fight? Or are you going into battle without your sword? Because if you're not doing those things, if you're not sticking with the Bible, then the temptations of money, of pleasure, of living for yourself, all the things that we thought about last week, they will overwhelm you. The words of the false teachers, the preachers online, they'll start to sound more persuasive. You'll find it harder and harder to resist as God's word is drowned out of your life. But God has breathed out his word for you. He has spoken to equip you so that you can live for him even in the midst of terrible times. 
God has breathed out his words so that you can be wise for salvation in Christ Jesus and so that you can lead others to find that salvation in him. Timothy, you must expect terrible times, says Paul. But remember who taught you. You know my life, you know my teaching. You should expect terrible times, Timothy. But stick with God's words. His breathed out word about the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation in him. Do those things and you'll be able to keep going. You'll be able to continue in guarding the gospel whatever opposition you might face. Let's pray together. Our loving